Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Robert Gorham Davis was a professor of English at Columbia University. After his retirement, he spent his energies writing letters to the New York Times editorial section. He wrote many letters, and they were usually prompted by any favorable mention of Christian truth. Anytime the New York Times made some mention of Christianity, he protested with a letter. In one such letter, he wrote, If there were such a God who really wished to reveal himself to mankind, he could do so in an amazing way that left no doubt. Well, he did. God revealed himself to mankind through his Son, and God left no doubt of the revelation of himself to mankind by his Son rising from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the single most amazing way God could have revealed himself to mankind. And the facts are clear. The evidence is comprehensive. Christ is risen from the dead. And he is the resurrection and the life. He is the door to eternal life. Satan hates the resurrection. As we'll see in Matthew 28, 11 to 15, he tried to cover it up by the lies and scheming of the religious leaders and the Roman soldiers. And he still tries to cover up the resurrection today. As a result, the true meaning of the Easter holiday is covered up with bunnies, eggs, candy, and baskets. But we must be careful and vigilant to not allow the world to cover up for us who believe in Christ what that holiday is really all about. And it's about Jesus Christ having paid our sin debt in full, rising again with power from the dead. He defeated sin and death for us that we and any who believe might have eternal life. Matthew twenty-eight eleven says, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. Matthew records, Now when they were going, the they is the women who had come to the tomb on resurrection morning. An angel had appeared to them at the tomb and told them to tell the disciples that Christ was risen from the dead, as he said, and that he was going before them in the Galilee where they would see him. As they went from the tomb, then the Lord appeared to the women, and he told them to tell the disciples that he was risen and that he would meet them in Galilee, just like the angel had said. Thus, as verse 11 says, now when they were going, it means that these women were obeying the Lord and were on their way to deliver the, uh, the good news to the disciples and this message from the risen Savior. People were moving in different directions on resurrection morning. The women were on the move toward the disciples' location. And then some of the watch or the Roman soldiers were on the move as well into the city of Jerusalem to find the Jewish chief priests. It seems strange, doesn't it, that Roman soldiers would seek out the Jewish chief priests. 
We'll see why as we go along here. We learn more about these soldiers in Matthew 27, 62 to 66, which reads, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together on the pilot, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. We are introduced to these Roman soldiers here and the reason why they were at the tomb. After Christ's death on the cross, the chief priests and Pharisees remembered Christ's words that he would rise again after three days. They did, they did better at remembering this than Christ's own disciples did. The chief priests and Pharisees request from the Roman governor Pilate a watch or a Roman guard unit to be stationed at the tomb to ensure that the disciples didn't try to steal Christ's body and claim he rose again. Pilate granted the watch. So the Roman soldiers went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, Roman guards were serious about what they were put in charge of guarding, because if a Roman soldier failed in his duty as a guard, it was an offense punishable by death. They faced certain and immediate execution. This was why the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself after the earthquake when he thought Paul and Silas and all the prisoners had escaped. The punishment for failing on guard duty, according to Roman law, was for the soldier to be stripped of his clothing and burned alive by a fire started with the clothes he was stripped of. The fear of that punishment made guards very alert and very mindful of their responsibilities. Josh McDowell wrote this about a Roman watch. A Roman guard unit was a four to 16 man security force. Each man was trained to protect six feet of ground. The 16 men in a square of four on each side were supposed to be able to protect 36 yards against an entire battalion and hold it. Normally what they did was this. Four men were placed immediately in front of what they were to protect. The other 12 were asleep in a semicircle in front of them with their heads pointing in. To steal what these guards were protecting... Thieves would first have to walk over those who were asleep. Every four hours, another unit of four was awakened, and those who had been awake went to sleep. They would rotate this way around the clock. We know the guard unit in front of Christ's tomb was a multi-man force because Matthew recorded how some of the guard came into the city after the resurrection. Some, of course, implying some of the several men of the Roman watch. Matthew 27:66 tells us that the Roman guards made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone. This application of the Roman seal to the stone was key because it was a public testimony that Christ's body was actually there in that tomb. 
Before that seal was applied, each member of the guard unit would go in and verify that what they were guarding was there. Their lives depended on that. So that seal tells us that Christ's body was in that tomb. After verifying that Christ's body was in the tomb, the stone was rolled in place, and a cord was then stretched across the rock covering the entrance. The cord was fastened on each side with sealing clay. Then the soft clay packs were stamped with the official signet of the Roman governor. The fact that a Roman seal was applied to the tomb told everyone that that tomb and its contents was protected by nothing less than the power and authority of the Roman Empire, which was the world's superpower at that time. Trying to move the stone from the tomb's entrance would have broken the Roman seal and thus incurred the judgment of Roman law and power, and the consequences were severe. As according to their their law, breaking a Roman seal carried a mandatory and automatic sentence of crucifixion in an upside-down position. After inspecting the, the tomb, rolling the stone into place at the entrance, and sealing the stone, the Roman guards then set the watch, and they got themselves in place. As we looked at in our last episode, what happened next was that after three days on resurrection morning, the Roman watch was still present at the tomb. When the angel descended to the already empty tomb, a great earthquake took place. The angel rolled the stone back from the door and sat on it. The sight of this angel sitting on the stone, whose countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow, caused the Roman guard unit to become paralyzed with fear and to visibly shake in their terror. They're so overwhelmed with fear, they then fainted and became as dead men. That's the last thing they remembered until they regained consciousness. When they came to, we know the soldiers checked the tomb by the cover-up and the lie that ensued. We know the soldiers found the tomb empty, except for the grave clothes lying just as they were when they were wrapped around the Lord's body. They saw the head napkin folded neatly to the side. The soldiers saw all of this and examined the entire scene. Then some of them came into the city of Jerusalem. They came to talk to the chief priests and to report to them all that had happened. Only some of them came, we see though, because the others were probably fearful for their lives and in hiding. The some who did come into the city were shrewd. They did not report to their superior officers or to Governor Pilate. Instead, they reported to the Jewish chief priests. They reported to the men who were as anxious as they were to cover up what had happened. They reported to the chief priests all the things that were done, Matthew twenty-eight eleven says. And all things that were done included the earthquake, the appearance of the angel, the angel launching the stone away from the entrance. After this, they told them how they fainted. Then they reported that they came too. And then the tomb was empty, except for the grave clothes. The chief priests, therefore, received word of Christ's resurrection before the disciples, because the women, 
were still going. They were still on their way to the disciples. And already the religious leaders knew. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Growing in God's Grace is a paperback, 96-page book written by Pastor John Fredrickson. The studies found in this book are intended to help any believer grow in their knowledge of key subjects in the Scripture. May we begin in earnest a lifelong journey of growing in God's grace and growing up unto Him in all things. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, Call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. Matthew twenty-eight twelve to 14 reads, And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to their governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. In verse 12 it says, When they, or the chief priests, were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel. The chief priests immediately call for a formal emergency meeting of the Sanhedrin, which is the 70-man ruling body of their Jewish religious leaders. The first-hand facts from the soldiers were shared. The tomb is empty. They've got to do something about it. They assembled to consult together that they might come to a satisfactory resolution. First, they decide to bribe the soldiers to lie. Verse 12 says they gave large money unto the soldiers. They couldn't have them going around saying that there was an earthquake, an angel who rolled the stone away, and then that the tomb was empty. This was hush money. The Greek word for money in verse 12 is silver. They gave them a large sum of silver money. They had bought Judas off for the sum of 30 pieces of silver. Now they had to pay much more. But there was no price too high to buy a lie about this. This information could not come out. It is incredible, though, isn't it, that the resurrection did not soften the heart of the religious leaders, soften their hearts to believe. Instead, it hardened their hearts. They were determined in their unbelief. And that same thing happens nowadays with people being determined in their unbelief. Second, the Jewish religious leaders decided that in return for the large sum of money, the soldiers were to spread a lie. Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. These religious leaders of Israel were desperate to come up with a story to explain the empty tomb and deter people from turning in faith to Christ. The body was stolen, was the lie. This was the only lie that worked. 
nothing else works with this because you have to explain an empty tomb. But their cover-up proves the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The lie to be made known was, well, we were all asleep when the disciples came in the middle of the night and stole his body. But the, the question that should have been logically raised is, if you were asleep, how did you know his disciples came during the night and stole his body away? You can't have it both ways. You can't be asleep and also know who took him. It also raises other questions. How could the, the disciples have rolled the stone away without waking the Roman guard? How could all of the soldiers have fallen asleep at the same time? If the, the, if the disciples had stolen the body, why had they taken the time to remove the grave clothes and fold the napkin? This wasn't a grave robbery at all. Another question is, why were the guards bribed instead of punished? They did not fulfill their responsibility, and they should have been executed. So why were they bribed? And Dr. Bill White uh, gives this explanation. If the stone were simply rolled to one side of the tomb, as, it, as would be necessary to enter it, then the Jewish leaders might be justified in accusing the men of sleeping at their posts and in punishing them severely. But there was some undeniable evidence which made it impossible for the chief priest to bring any charge against the guard. The Jewish authorities must have visited the scene, examined the stone, and recognized its position as making it humanly impossible for these men to have permitted its removal. No twist of human ingenuity could provide an adequate answer or a scapegoat, and so they were forced to bribe the guard and seek to hush things up. Part of the reason for the large bribe for the soldiers also was that the religious leaders were asking them to incriminate themselves, to admit to sleeping on guard duty in violation of Roman military law, which again was punishable by death. For this reason, the third thing the religious ruling body decided was to assure the soldiers of their protection, telling them, if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. They were good at doing that persuading the governor Pilate. Pilate was like putty in their hands. When Pilate was resistant to crucifying Christ, they kept working at him and working at him, and they worked the crowd into a frenzy against him. They told him, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. And as we know, the weak-kneed Pilate ultimately relented and commanded Christ to be crucified. Thus, if Pilate tried to take action to execute the soldiers, the chief priests knew that they could go to him and keep the soldiers out of trouble. Matthew twenty-eight fifteen says, So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Confident that the chief priests could do this and keep them safe, in verse 15 we learn that the soldiers took the large sum of money, they took the money and did what they had been taught, the verse says. You had a number of soldiers that all needed to be telling the same story. They needed to go over the details of the cover-up and the lie so that one soldier wasn't saying one thing and another was saying something different. They all needed to be on the same page 
Thus they were taught the lie carefully. In verse 15, we see they did as they were taught. They propagated the lie. The soldiers who knew better lied. The religious leaders who knew better lied. Satan, who is the father of lies, still propagates lies about the resurrection to this day. And people still believe them. There's a few lies about the resurrection that are out there. There's the wrong tomb theory. That the reason the tomb was rolled away and the tomb was empty was because the women went to the wrong tomb. But the women had watched where he was buried the day of his crucifixion, and they knew where the tomb was. This would mean that not only did the women go to the wrong tomb, so did Peter and John when they ran to the tomb later. And the right tomb would have been located after a while, especially by his enemies, who would have wanted to disprove the resurrection. There's the Christ did not die theory, that Christ didn't really die on the cross and just fainted from exhaustion. Thus he was buried alive and he later left the tomb on his own. But this would mean that in his weakened condition after his crucifixion, he would have had to get out of the grave clothes, push the stone out and far away from the entrance, either eluding the Roman soldiers or not waking them, and he would have had to survive a spear being thrust in his side. A woman wrote this to J. Vernon McGee once. Our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? McGee replied, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a whip for 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, then see what happens. There's the hallucination theory. This theory is that people only thought they had seen the resurrected Christ and had just hallucinated. But there were too many different people in too many different places at too many different times and circumstances to be able to have that many hallucinations or to be able to corroborate all their stories. And the stolen body theory that began on Resurrection Day is still out there, still believed by some that the disciples stole his body. But the truth of the matter was that the disciples were in fear for their lives, hiding. They weren't plotting how to get the body. The Roman soldiers were told to spread the stolen body lie because the leaders feared that the resurrection was going to be preached and believed. They knew the news that the tomb was empty was going to spread, so they had to spread the lie quickly and widely. And as Mark Twain once said, a little lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is still lacing up her boots. The resurrection cover-up lie of the disciples stealing the body went out far and wide. Matthew, writing years later, confirms that this was still the prominent story. Although the story the soldiers told about the empty tomb was completely ridiculous, it was widely spread and believed by the Jews in that day. What we have here in Matthew 28, 11-15 is an account of Christ's resurrection from the viewpoint of His enemies. The Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God gives us this angle as a proof of the truth. Critics and doubters of the resurrection may question the accounts by Christ's friends, saying that of course they're going to say, 
and lie that he rose again because they were his friends. So unbelievers might dismiss the testimony of his followers, but it's pretty hard to dismiss the testimony of his enemies. The last thing the Jewish leaders wanted was an empty tomb and a resurrection, but that is exactly what they got. And the elaborate cover-up is proof that the resurrection really happened. Christ's followers give strong testimony to his resurrection in their eyewitness accounts, and his enemies give strong testimony to it in the plot to cover it up. Any way you look at it, every way you look at it, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And because Christ lives, it shows that he is Lord, God, and the only Savior. Christ's resurrection vindicates and declares to all mankind that He is all that He claimed to be. He is the eternal Son of God. He is the Savior through whom all can be saved. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1-4 that Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The story is told of an African Muslim who became a Christian. His friends asked, why have you become a Christian? He answered, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. There at the fork were two men, one dead and one alive. Who would you ask which way to go? Unlike spiritual leaders and founders like Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and Joseph Smith and others who are dead in the grave, Jesus Christ is alive. Christ himself stated in Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. The resurrection destroys the lie of Satan that I'll believe what I want, you believe what you want, as long as we're all sincere, we're all going to be okay. The resurrection shows that Christ is the only way, the only one to trust, that there are no other options but Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. He is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We come to God on His terms, not ours. God's terms are that we come to Him through His Son, through the living Savior, who paid for all of our sins and rose again from the dead. And by just believing that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, we have eternal life. For nearly 80 years, the Berean Bible Society has endeavored to encourage believers everywhere to study God's Word. With this foundation, the believer is equipped to grow spiritually and energized to effectively share the Gospel. Through the tools of both traditional and electronic media, we are positioned to reach our world well into the coming generations. Streaming lessons, printed materials, audio teachings, and daily devotionals are all available at the BereanBibleSociety.org. 
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.